If you have your Bible, would you take it and turn with me to that passage, Second Chronicles chapter 26. That's why I had him read it. We are um, at the end of our series that we've called Wrecked. And uh, if you haven't been here for the last four weeks, uh, three weeks, uh, what we've done is, is we've taken a look at, with today, now four different areas or things that, that come into our lives that if we're not careful in how we deal with these issues, these things that confront us, if we're not careful with these, they will actually seep into our heart and seep into our spirit and, and begin to manifest itself in our lives in ways that we will actually wreck our lives. If we're not careful, if these areas of our life go unchecked or unaudited, then, then our lives will be wrecked by the power of these things that, that come against us. And so what we've done is we've taken the last few weeks and trying to encourage you on how to avoid wrecking your life in these, in these areas. They're, they're areas that we understand from your prayer requests and our conversations that, that we as a church, individuals, and then collectively as a church that we're dealing with. Uh, we didn't randomly pick these topics. They came from, from you. And so what we've been doing is trying to help you. If you're in the middle of these issues, we wanted to give you some, some help to get out of it. To, to get out of the circumstance that you find yourself in, the, to get out of the situation that you're in, so that, so that it's not too late, so that you don't wreck your life. The other thing that we wanted to do is, is along with that, in the event that you're not dealing with these things, there will be a day down the road. There will be a day down the road when you will be tempted to be engaged in this activity. And we want to help you head it off at the pass. We want to help you so that when you're confronted with it, you can resist it. You can put it aside. You can leave it alone. You can walk away from it. We want to help you deal with the things that we've been talking about. And we've also said in this series that, that the ground is level. Every single one of us have dealt with these issues. Every single one of us have dealt with the, the topics that we've talked about. None of us, none of us can stand in a place of superiority, especially given today's topic. Nobody at all can, can sit across the aisle and look at somebody else and say, boy, I'm glad he's preaching on that because that person needs to hear it. We can't do that. The ground is level here. Every single one of us have been challenged. Every single one of us have been confronted. Every single one of us have dealt with these issues that we've been talking about. The issues of gossip and anger and lust and now today, pride. And when we think of pride, two distinct attitudes come to mind. One attitude is that of a healthy, positive self-respect. So pride, kind of like anger, in and of itself is not necessarily bad. It's not necessarily sinful. It's the kind of pride. It's the type of pride that's within us that makes that distinction. And on one hand, there's a positive sense of pride where we have a healthy self-respect for things that 
we do or who we are or what we've been involved with. And many of us have exercised that kind of healthy self-respect. You know, we, we are proud of, of how we've lived our lives or we're proud of something that we've built or we're proud of something that we've done or we're, we're proud of, of, of planting grass in our backyard when our house has been built with the help of many friends, by the way. We're proud of that. We're proud of accomplishments and we step back and we have a healthy self-respect that says, you know what? Yeah, I'm just glad that I was able to be a part of that. And that healthy self-respect, Paul even uh, uses that idea in the Scriptures. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, I take great pride in you. That kind of pride is, is reasonable and justifiable. It's a healthy self-respect. But there's a second attitude. There's an ugly side of pride that God warns us about. This is the ugly side of pride that going unchecked and unaudited will wreck our lives. Here too, We know this dark side of pride. We've contributed to that. We've lived that way. This negative pride is that which has an improper or excessive self-esteem. We call it conceit. There's an unhealthy or excessive view of how I live my life and how I move and how I act and and what I do and what I'm involved in. There's an unhealthy side of me that says, look at all the power I have. Look at what I was able to accomplish. Look at what I was able to do. It's this kind of pride, this kind of unhealthy self-esteem that is excessive, that sneaks into our lives and grips us. It grabs hold of our heart. And if we're not attuned to it, if we're not aware of what's happening, it, it sits in our spirit. The enemy grips us with this sense of unhealthy pride. And as we walk through life, the enemy will use that to trip us up in our relationship with God. It's the opposite of humility. This, this kind of pride, when it grips our lives, it, it alters our perspective on life. It, it changes our, our attitudes and it changes the way we interact with other people. There's no humility there. And in fact, one writer says that, that this kind of negative pride is a sin of the attitude, heart, and spirit. We think that we're something we're not. We look at our lives and lift ourselves up and say, look at how good I am. We think of things that we've accomplished and we think that we can do no wrong. Some of us have have had great success in life. And we attribute all of that great success in our life to the way that we've conducted ourselves, to how I've lived my life, what I've done, how I've pulled myself up from the, by the bootstraps and, and you didn't understand what I came from and look at where I am now and look at what I've accomplished, look at what I've done, look at how I've worked myself to get to this place. 
It's what I've done. Nobody else gets the credit. I worked hard for this. Some of us work in environments that actually, if we do our job correctly, some of us work in environments where just the, 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 the byproduct of working in that environment and being successful can be, can be an inflated ego. Because of the things that some of us deal with and work with and in the areas that we, we manage or the care that we give others, when we're successful, that environment creates opportunity for us to inflate our own ego and say, look at what I've done. Some of us work in those areas, and, and it's very public. When you're successful, your success is very public. It's written about in the newspapers. It's seen on the television. Your success is very public, and it's very easy in those arenas for pride to come in and you to inflate your ego. When pride finds its way in, like all of these other challenges that we've talked about, when pride finds its way in, there's some very real manifestations of pride that God warns us about. He says that that when pride works its way into our lives, it changes the way we speak to each other. When we're filled with pride, our conversations become self-centered. When we're filled with pride, our conversations are all about what I've done. When we're filled with pride, the most important thing that you need to know when we get together for lunch is what's going on in my life. It doesn't matter what's going on in yours. I've got to tell you what's going on in my life. That's what's important. What I've accomplished, what I've done, where I've been, where I've traveled, how I've been leading my family and my life. You need to know that. It changes the way we have conversations. It changes the way that we, we talk with each other. We talk of all of our accomplishments. We talk about our connections. Hey, I know so-and-so, and they know so-and-so. We talk of who we know, and we talk down to people. We talk down to them. As though we're superior, we're more powerful, we have more authority, we're greater than they are. We talk down to people. And we all know when we're doing this, right? Can, can we drop the pretense this morning? I mean, we all know, right? We all know when we're having those conversations. Because there's a difference. There's a difference between... Um, there's a difference. Uh, Jason's down here, down front, and I'm going to pick on him. There's a difference when, when he calls the guys of his small group and we go over and help him finish his yard because they just built a, a home and... We're, we're finishing that. And he can step back and have pride and say, man, look, look what I, I, I did, you know, 90 feet of it. You guys came in and did 12 inches. But anyway, this was, you know, this, there's a difference between somebody who's worked really, really hard at what they've done and be able to stand back and, and you, know, you know that experience, to stop, step back and say, wow, I'm so glad that I was able to accomplish this. Thank you. And then there's a difference between somebody that walks up and says, Yeah, look what I did. I did all 95 feet of that, didn't have anybody's help. I did all that work myself. I'm great. I'm awesome. I did all of that. People I work with, 
they know how great I am. The couples that I counsel, they're perfect. I have this young married couple sitting down here. They're a rock star couple, and they're great because I did their premarital counseling. That's a different kind of pride. That's completely opposite of what God desires of us. He doesn't want us to talk down to people. He doesn't want us to be arrogant or flamboyant in a way that puts the glory and the honor on ourselves. Because pride changes the way we talk to people. And Paul wrote these words in the book of Romans in chapter 1. Paul describes this a little bit when he talks about the people who are godless. Godless people, Paul is describing this way. And he says, the godless people who who exchange the truth of God for a lie. Romans chapter 1. They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And he says, one one of the characteristics of these people are that they are arrogant and boastful. The godless, the people that have exchanged the truth of God for a lie are arrogant and boastful. You see, pride changes how we communicate with each other. Pride also changes our heart. It affects our motives and our intentions. And we know this too, if we would stop and think about it for a minute. When we are filled with pride, then my motive in my life is changed. And the reason I do things and the way I act and the people I seek out and the way that I live and the activities I'm involved in all come with an ulterior motive to keep enhancing that excessive level of self-esteem that I have. It's an exaggerated level of self-respect and self-esteem. And so I put myself myself in these relationships or these environments where I, I, I act in a certain way purposefully, perhaps subconsciously, but it's purposeful. Our motives have changed. Pride changes the way we act towards each other. Proverbs 16.5 says this, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Pride changes the way we speak to others. Pride changes the way our heart is adjusted. It changes our motives and intentions. Pride also changes and alters our perspective. Pride affects how we see the world. Pride affects how we see other people. It it gives us a lens, a new lens. I would say a cloudy lens that we then look through as we look at life. Pride comes in and this negative pride reaches in and, and grips our lives and it clouds our thinking and our perspective on how we see things and how we live and and how we act. And God clearly warns against this. He says in Isaiah 1.11, the eyes of the arrogant, the eyes, the eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord 
the Lord alone will be exalted. And I think that Isaiah passage has within it the root problem of pride. We steal the glory from God. When we live with pride, we steal the glory from God and we attribute it to ourselves. We take the glory and the honor and the power and the praise and the position and the authority that belongs to God and we steal it from Him and we apply it to our own lives. Look at what I did. Look at how successful I am. Look at what I was able to accomplish. Look at my home. Look at my job. Look at my family. I built all of this up. This is what I did. Aren't I great? Pride steals the glory that is due to God and places it back on ourselves. When we live with pride, we redirect that glory to ourselves. When we live with pride, it is like the created being stealing from the Creator. Think about that. We who are created take from the Creator and apply it to ourselves as though we accomplished this. As though we hold the world together. As though we are the ones with authority and power. The created being is robbing and stealing from God the authority and the power and the glory that belongs to Him. When we allow pride to grip our lives, what we're saying is that the seat of authority rests on humanity and not on deity. Pride says all the power, all the praise, all the glory belongs to humanity. To me. Not to God. Not to deity. Not to the Creator. All the hope, all the power, all the strength in this world rests on us. The seat of authority, the seat of Power and grace and mercy and love and sovereignty rests in humanity when we live with pride, not on deity. We see that in our, perhaps the, the, the best place we've seen that recently is in the elections. Now, hear me. I don't care who you vote for. I think it's important that we vote. I don't care who you vote for, but I could give you my opinion later. Our hope, our future, our strength, our power, our might does not rest in anyone whose name is in a ballot box. The power and our hope for the future and our trust and the sovereignty of authority rests in God. 
And when we steal the glory from God and we place it on humanity, we take our eyes off of Him and we put our eyes on ourselves and we make it about us. And we're going to fix the world and we're going to change things and we're, gonna, we're not going to do anything apart from the power of God. If we try to live life in pride and arrogance and be boastful about it, we're going to wreck our lives. Look at the world that we live in. Look at the communities. Look at our homes. Look at our neighbors. Look at our schools. Now, I didn't say don't vote. And I didn't say don't pray for your public officials. We need to be doing that. These people who are elected are ordained by God to be elected. Whether we agree with the position or not, that that underscores God's sovereignty. That underscores His authority. That underscores that when we don't like it, our pride reaches in and we want to steal the authority away from God and place it on ourselves. Pride replaces God's character with our character. As Christians, we're to shine a light into the world. A light that helps others see God for who He is. God is good and God is merciful and God is loving and God is filled with power and, and grace and forgiveness and justification and, and God wants to reunite relationships and God is about healing and God is about holiness and God is about truth and God is about justice. This is the light that we are to shine into the world. Yet we replace His character with ours. When we're filled with pride, we replace His character with ours. And the light that we shine into the world is a light of self-righteousness and self-centeredness. And it's a light of arrogance. And it's a light of bigotry. And it's a light of hatred. And it's a light of marginalization. We talk down to others. We marginalize people, all kinds of people, because of our own self-centeredness and our own self-righteousness. And this, this is the ugly testimony of the church. This is the ugly testimony of the church of North America. Look at the last 200 years. And what have we done? We have marginalized people. We have marginalized people who are trying to find hope. We've marginalized people who are trying to find peace. We've marginalized Christians who are trying to live their life. We've marginalized people who are seeking God in faith to try to restore and redeem something of their, their lives and their homes. And we've marginalized them in this country. You don't look like me, so you're at a distance. I don't like the color of your hair. And so we marginalize. I don't like the color of your skin. And so we marginalize. I'm sure you're welcome in the kingdom, but not here. 
we push people and keep them at a distance because of self-righteousness and self-centeredness, that pride that seeps into our hearts. We have been forgiven. We have been justified. We have been cleansed. And we have been made holy. And so somewhere, somehow, we've interpreted that and moved that from God's grace to our power. We've taken our eyes off of Him and put our eyes on ourselves. We've taken the authority from God's seat and placed it in humanity. And now because in my righteousness, now that it's become self-righteous, I can marginalize. I don't like the way you dress. I marginalize you. I don't like the way you look. I marginalize you. I don't like the fact that you like drums and an electric guitar. So I marginalize you. We push you aside. And the North American church has been doing it for 200 years. And we're losing a generation. Do you not see that? We're losing a generation of people who are seeking truth and hope because of our own self-centeredness and our own self-righteousness. I don't know what God's preferred future is, but I know it's not that. That's not the New Testament church. Pride, when it grips us, it causes us to stumble. And the glory and the honor and the fame and the renown and the praise for everything and anything in our lives, first and foremost, that needs to reside with God, we've stolen from Him. To Him be the glory. To Him be the honor and the praise. To Him be the thanks for all that is. This is what a world lost and confused needs to see and to hear and to know. To God alone be the glory. Amen? In the Old Testament, there's this recording in 2 Chronicles. If you have that, please open to that. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, it's a book of, of history. The history of Israel. And in this passage, it talks about King Uzziah, who is the king of Judah. And in chapter 26, it talks about his reign. And it says many great things about Uzziah, a successful king in most people's eyes. If you look at it, it says, in, in, if you look at verses 1 and 3 together, the people of Judah elevated Uzziah when he was only 16 years old to be the king. He had great support from the people of the, the nation. They elevated him as king. In verse 4, uh, he, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. So he had a, a heritage of faithfulness to God and, and Uzziah not only walked in that heritage of faithfulness, but, but he was noted for it himself as he lived and as he, he reigned in Judah. And in verses 6 through, through 11, we see that, that he was successful at almost everything he touched. He was successful. 
He went to war with a well-trained army. He, he built towers and he fortified them so that, that Jerusalem could, could be defended. They, they dug cisterns out in the countryside because he had so much cattle and so much livestock going out on the countryside. He had to keep them, them uh, well-fed and, and watered. And he built, dug these cisterns and put people to work. He built, he built a nation. He built an army. He had so much success that, that other countries were coming and paying tribute to him. He was popular. He was successful. He was young when he started. And he had a long and thriving run as king. It's the formula for greatness. With one exception. Verse 16. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God. His hubris altered his thinking and his perception. He thought that he could enter the temple and and offer incense to God. In all of his success, In all of his success, he thought he was equal to God's chosen people and he could do anything. And so in verses 18 through 20, it talks about how, as Dave read for us, how Uzziah entered the temple to burn incense at the altar of incense. And the priests, 80, 81 of them, had enough courage to confront the king and said, hey, what you're doing... You don't have the authority. I, I know you're, you're King Uzziah. I know you built this. I know you, you fought this. I know you have great success. I, I know you're the king. You don't have authority to do this. You don't have the place to do something that God's chosen people have done. See, God had in His sovereignty and in His authority Authority established the line of Aaron to care for the temple practices. Uzziah was not part of that. It wasn't his place. Remember what the words of Proverbs said? The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. And if you look at Second Chronicles 19, Chapter 26, verse 19. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand ready to burn incense, became angry with the priests and while he was raging at the priests. Talked about that two weeks ago. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead. So they hurried him out. And indeed, he himself was not eager. He was eager to leave because the Lord had, the Lord, the Lord had afflicted him. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go. His hubris altered his perception and his reaction showed that he was wrecking his life. 
Verse 21. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and excluded house from the temple. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. Verse 23, Uzziah rested with his fathers and was buried near them. Not with them, near them in a field. He lost his power. He lost his position. He lost his influence. A life that was so successful and and so valuable to God and the influence on his people, wasted. Completely wasted and wrecked because of his pride. Even in death, he was separated from greatness. His pride, this negative, over-inflated, excessive self-righteousness, self-esteem, self-centeredness was a stain on his legacy. Here's the ironic twist. Uzziah's name actually means the Lord is my strength. How ironic that he ended his life because he stole from God the power and the authority and applied it to his own life. Where do we do that? Where do we steal from God and make it our own? Where do we in our lives decline to give God the glory and the honor and the praise, the power and the authority and the sovereignty, and yet make it our own? I want to leave you this morning with four simple practical steps to avoid this idea of pride, this negative pride that will just grip our lives and destroy us. And the first step is this, to to pray for God to guard our hearts. I hope that you would pray every day for God to guard your heart, that pride would not seep into your heart and grip you. In the book of Ephesians in chapter 6, Paul writes, the the battle that we face every day isn't with flesh and blood. Our our battle isn't with each other. Our battle is a spiritual battle. And it's fought in the heavenly realms. And so if that's where the battle is, you need to be, you need to have spiritual armor. And one of the pieces of armor that he talks about in in chapter 6, verse 14, I believe it is, is he says the breastplate of righteousness. God's righteousness should guard your heart. His righteousness and His holiness should guard your heart that pride would not seek to destroy you. So I pray that we would guard our hearts. Secondly, I would advise you to keep godly counsel close. It said in chapter 26 that Uzziah had a relationship with Zechariah and it was that relationship because he had that relationship with the prophet, Zechariah gave him godly counsel. And Uzziah walked with the Lord and had favor with God and was successful because he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And some people believe in the history of, of 
of the story that Zechariah had passed away and Uzziah now had lost, lost that godly counsel. And that's when the shift happened. So who's your godly counsel? Who do you go to? Who can you trust? Who do you look to? Aside from the Lord, not in place of, but who can you turn to as godly counsel? Who do you ask to pray for you? Who do you ask to give you advice? Keep godly counsel close. Third, I would say, return the glory to God in all things. Again, where do we steal the glory? It belongs to Him. Offer it back to Him. Finally, commit again to surrendering to the Holy Spirit. I can't overemphasize this, and we cannot grow tired of hearing this. We've said it for four weeks now. We have to have the Holy Spirit have control of our lives. If we don't, we give the enemy a foothold. We give the enemy a place to come in and grab a hold of us and grip us. We are Christians. Those who profess that should live that way. And Paul writes these words in Galatians. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We cannot grow tired. We cannot grow weary of hearing this encouragement. Allow yourselves to be driven and led and gripped and filled by the Holy Spirit. And look at what His counsel is in verse 26. Let us not become Conceited, filled with pride. I pray that we would be individuals who allow the Holy Spirit control of our lives so that we could be a church and a community of faith corporately that is allowing the Holy Spirit to direct us. And so as we close this message and put a cap on this series, May we be reminded of who deserves all the honor and praise. To God alone be the glory. It starts with Him and it ends with Him. Great things He has done. And as you determine in your heart, your response to what God is saying to you today and what God has been saying to you over this series, I want to encourage you and invite you to stand and to sing the refrain of this old hymn that puts a capstone on what we've been saying today. To God be the glory.